Welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And today we have a special guest, Duncan Sabian. Hi. And this is episode 60, which is going to be on Duncan's Animorphs the Reckoning, kind of a post-mortem, probably just more questions and answered. For anyone who missed it, there is a subreddit, our rational post, Q&A for the story also. And yeah, I encourage people to go in and read that. Yeah. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's been a while since we talked about your story. Yeah, good to be here. It's uh, nice to not still be actively writing it at the moment. <laughs> of the three of us, both of you have now finished very long, very good online web serials, and I am still writing mine. But I'm going to try to focus on uh, less of the process of writing questions and more of the like things that you were excited about while writing. So like the first question that I have is kind of like, riffing off of one of the questions from the Q&A, which I just want to ask you anyway. There's this idea of writers tend to write for themselves first, right? Like the thing that you write is the thing that you want to see exist in the world. And like, if no one else is going to do it, you got to do it yourself kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, you mentioned in the Q&A that you had thought of Animorphs in part because it was like a huge part of your upbringing when you, and, and like a major story for you. I'm curious to know what parts of the story while you were writing them felt like they were the most important to you to like get right? Yeah. Uh, so for me, the relationships, like the characters themselves and the relationships were definitely central. Um, there's a way in which like any given plot element of Animorphs could disappear. Any any individual book from original canon could have just not been written. And it, it for the most part, would be all right, as long as Jake and Rachel and Cassie and Marco and all that are the same. But I guess there, there were certainly some elements that I really, really looked forward to including. Like, I really wanted to show some of the characters getting infested by a yerk. I really wanted to show the chi, which for people who aren't familiar with either canon or the story, they're a sort of pacifist, robotic, android dog people. Uh, I really looked forward to getting to see the chi kind of come off the leash uh, and mm -hmm. let loose. I really looked forward to getting to dive much deeper into the minds of all the different aliens. In canon, uh, it was very much like Star Trek. All the aliens were basically just human. Um, they had extremely human priorities and extremely mm -hmm. human emotions. Um, and I really wanted to try my hand at getting at least a little bit weird with it, like taking seriously different evolutionary paths. Yeah, so there there were lots of little things. I don't I don't know if there was any like one or two really big things that I was especially looking forward to, but I sort of wanted to to bask in this sea of all the cool things that are possible in an Animorphs universe. Uh-huh. Yeah. So when when you were writing this, how often did you refer to canon? Like cuz I like you you read the books growing up. I I read them when I was growing up too. It's one one of my favorite series, but I remember so little of like what actually happens in the books even though i read I, i'm not sure i read all of them because there are some especially toward not the very end of the run but like that like end middle run where it yeah yeah we all gave yeah. up around book 40 <laughs> <laughs> i actually only went back and finished the series once it was already over yeah the end 
I thought was was much better than those like middle end where it was it was like ghostwriters and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I, I guess I'm wondering how how often did you go back to canon to to like or did you mostly rely on like wikis and stuff like that or or just yeah. like inventing your own stuff? Yeah. So for, for one thing, I remember canon quite well. Um, I read them sort of obsessively over and over again. So I was able to to rely on my own memory a, a pretty decent amount. But I did. I did use a lot of wikis for things like making sure that I was using a variety of uh, like Yerk and Andalite names. Like I often wanted to be like, oh, I need to, I just need a Yerk name. Let uh-huh. me just go look at the list of characters. Probably the only times that I actually went straight back all the way back to the original text where there were a few places where I wanted to riff on or recast very, very specific moments. Um, there were some like particular inner monologues or some particular conversations or speeches that were just strikingly memorable and like very key to a lot of people's conceptions of various characters, especially Marco and Jake. Um, and so I would often go back, I think at least five or six times I would go back and look up exactly word for word, how did this conversation go? Such that I like I would basically grow the rationalist version of the conversation out of the transcript of the original uh, mm-hmm. and sometimes change the original very, very little. Uh, so one example of this is Marco has a classic monologue where he's thinking about how people don't understand what the word ruthless means. People people mistake ruthless. They think that it means like some particular kind of cold unfeelingness. Uh, mm-hmm. And Marco in canon is thinking, no, it's not about that. It's about seeing the clear, bright line that leads to the objective and not caring about anything else. And I definitely just retyped that exact speech word for word into my word processor before going back and then like sort of tweaking it to be more mm-hmm. more like what I wanted to say. It, it was interesting seeing moments of, of the story that felt like they echoed parts of, of canon. And that was like one of the things I think of whenever people say, you know, do I need to be familiar with the Anwarf's canon? In case anyone's listening to this who hasn't read either the canon or the, the rational, I'm sure there's at least one person who's going to. Uh, I don't think that it's necessary to read the canon to enjoy the reckoning, but it is it is definitely kind of fun uh, having those moments if you if you have read the canon. Yeah, like for for people who've read Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality but not read Ranomorphs, there's a thing of like there's a moment in H.P. Moore when Professor Quirrell is extremely upset about a thing that an idiot sixth-year <laughs> Gryffindor has done to an idiot sixth-year Slytherin. And if you're not familiar with Harry Potter canon, this is just a perfectly functional scene. Um, but if you are familiar with Harry Potter canon, this is a reference, and the reference comes through loud and clear. And Eliezer Yudkowsky's opinion about the reference comes through loud and clear. And there are lots of moments like that in Ranomorphs. I think it's perf- perfectly functional without any knowledge of canon, but you certainly get a lot more inside jokes that you wouldn't even notice are jokes if you haven't read canon. Um, how much did you try to like balance that or I guess keep that in mind while writing? Because like to, to be fully independent from canon is a real double-edged sword, I think, if it's like established universe stuff. Because there is a thing that and any like series geared towards kids will do where they'll, they'll recap basic, basic facts about the series just in case this isn't like just in case like book three is your entry or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of mandated by the publishers that you, that you do that. I read a lot of chapter books with my son. Now he's five years old 
and and we read chapter books together and they they like recap basic facts about like what what characters look like and like what happened in the last book and there's always like a paragraph or two just to, just in case you it's been like a couple years for you or uh does your entry point or whatever how much did you try to pay attention to that like cuz i reading it i didn't think that you went in assuming a blank a blank slate or or you just assumed that the reader's smart enough to to pick up what they need to pick up rather than rather than thinking that the reader is that the reader is coming in totally fresh with no knowledge right because yeah. it's, it's a very difficult thing in in my opinion to, to to try to balance boring people who already know all this stuff and leaving newcomers totally out in the cold so i'm, I'm i guess i'm just curious about the the balance there yeah, uh, the thing that I shot for was something like if you can make it to the end of the second chapter, like if you're willing to sort of hold your own confusion and like like some movies start just in the middle of the scene, right? They're just mm-hmm. like, here's a guy and he's running and oh, well, we'll figure it out as we go along. And you sort of go into the movie willing to be confused for the first 10 minutes and sort of trusting that it'll all make sense. I, I gave myself basically two chapters to get people sufficiently grounded in the universe that even if they had no prior knowledge, they would, they would from that point on be fine. I really tried really, really hard to make sure that other than that, all, all nods and reliance on canon would be something like extra credit. It would be a bonus that would enrich your experience of the story, but it wouldn't detract from it, which actually made it a little bit tricky in some places because Animorphs canon goes to some pretty wild places. Um, some things I was just completely unable to include because they were so out there that I could not justify them uh, in the universe that I had built. Such as, for instance, Atlantis. The uh, The Animorphs canon goes to literal Atlantis, and that did not make the cut for the rationalist version. But things that did make the cut, such as, for instance, there's a, there's an alien nutrient that the brain parasites require periodically. And in canon, uh, they were able to substitute this nutrient with a very specific brand of instant oatmeal, which is pretty wacky for the sort of gritty, realistic slant that I was taking on the story. Um, and so I, I I tried not to be like, well, this is just how it was in canon. And instead I had to have the characters react like, are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me right now? Because, you know, like such coincidences do occur, but you sort of you sort of lampshade them, right? Like as long as you acknowledge that you can that you, the author, are aware that this is a stretch, uh, this breaks things a little bit less for the reader. Um, So it was actually more it was more in places where I thought that readers familiar with canon would forgive me something crazy um, that I felt like I had to do more work. I was more concerned with readers being skeptical than with readers being lost. Do you have any sense of the balance in in readers? Like people who came in as hardcore Animorphs fans or people who were just like, ah, well, I, I don't care about Animorphs, I'm just going to read the story and, and you know, pick pick it up from cultural osmosis or or what the story is presenting me. Do you know, do you have some sense of the split? I was just going to say, my guess is that when it started, probably almost exclusively people who were Animorphs fans, and then as it went on, maybe more non-Animorphs fans uh, got in on it. But I, I would, my guess is still something like at least 80% Animorphs fans, just based off of upvote count. Yeah, my sense is that it's it, it started out with maybe 5% uh, 
uh, people who just were like clicking on it for the heck of it. And over time, I think it, I think it might be as much as thirty percent of the readers these days uh, in total are not mm-hmm. familiar with canon. Certainly new readers coming in, I think, uh, many more new readers coming in these days just based on like, oh, it's a finished fic. It tends to get upvoted on the subreddit <laughs> as opposed to in the past. Um, but yeah, I think I think readers familiar with canon still outnumber, I don't, I don't know what, what word we want to say. I think they still outnumber fresh readers by at least two or three to one. Did you have a sense um, when you were... Like, was there anything in particular you were worried about upsetting canon readers over, like, from changes? That you, I don't know if, like, you know, you had any angry Tobias Rachel shippers and I've, I've, like, forgotten about in the comments at some point, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I was particularly worried about Tobias, and I think this worry has been borne out. Um, without giving any spoilers, there's a very oh, no, large... Oh, no, no, no. Spoil, absolutely spoil. Oh, okay. If anyone listening to this, if you're worried about spoilers, like just just stop listening now and go go read it, because otherwise this conversation's gonna be very constrained. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So in canon, Tobias Tobias gets stuck as a hawk. He gets permanently stuck in the body of a red-tailed hawk, and this basically dominates all of his arc throughout the book. Um, there's all sorts of things that come out of this. There's romantic relationship with Rachel and whether or not it can ever be consummated. There's his usefulness to the team. Sometimes he's super useful because he can be a bird and he can he doesn't have a morphing time limit. Uh, and other times he's extremely useless because he's stuck as a bird and a bird is not helpful in this situation. <laughs> and so there's all sorts of things emerging from Tobias being a hawk that when you take that away, it sort of leaves you like, what's going to happen with this character and indeed i did have to make some pretty major changes to tobias's whole deal and i was pretty worried that that i would lose some readers right there and in fact like one of my good friends who is trans and changed their name to tobias specifically in honor of the animorphs character was like yep sorry buddy can't read your story (laughs) have they since changed their mind they have since said that now that it's finished and people keep ranting at them about it, they might give it a shot. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, Tobias, uh, since I was young, Tobias was very much one of those, like, this is an awesome name. This is a name that I'm going to uh, either take on one day or name my child. And yeah, yeah. in large part because of just how character, I thought the character was. Yeah. Similarly, Rachel from Canon doesn't really fit in a rationalist universe. She sort of mm-hmm. like never never learns and never updates and is always just like, rah, rah, let's go. Um, so I, I had to very quickly hit Rachel with a pretty big blow that would cause her to sort of stop, mm-hmm. melt down and start over. I was less worried about Rachel and more worried about Tobias. but And then also Cassie. Yeah, so I guess mostly I was worried about sort of reinterpretations of the characters. I think that I was I think that I stayed very very true to all of the characters. Uh-huh. But when you change their context so radically, they sort of can't help but be a little bit different. I'm reminded of how uh Professor McGonagall in Methods is basically according to me exactly still Professor McGonagall, but she nevertheless goes in a very much different direction as a result of the rationalist universe pushing on her in different ways. I think, I guess I also got a little flack. I don't know. There's a couple of, I think they're mostly trolling at this point, but there are some Helmicrons <laughs> fans uh, <laughs> that were constantly trying to get Helmicrons to happen. Um, there were some people that wanted, you know, Rachel to morph into a starfish and then get cut in half and then demorph into evil Rachel and good Rachel. And, you know, some, no matter what you change, there's going to be one person out there for whom that was what made Canon what it was and you know you're going to lose that reader but 
Uh, interestingly, Visser 3 changed a lot, and I was not at all scared. Uh, I, I was pretty confident. Um, once I read once I read uh, Ketura's Visser 3 draft, I was like, oh no, everyone will love this person, <laughs> or love to hate him. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I think there are a few people who are reading the Animorphs canon being like, oh man, Visser 3 is just such a great villain. As written, yeah, he's definitely got the Saturday morning Saturday yeah, morning cartoon yeah. cackling buffoon villain vibes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That, like, basically, all the characters feel true to, true to themselves, but also just like uh, upgraded based on on the context that they're in, and also obviously that's like rational fiction. There's a degree of kind of like the stories, and I remember a lot of the stories that in in canon animorphs that I that I uh, haven't read in years that being like. Somewhat like there's there's a lot of serious shit that goes on, but there's also there's also quite a lot of like lightheartedness. Yeah, and obviously in your story, like there's still there's still some life lighthearted moments. Like I was waiting for Axe to 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 eat to eat a cinnamon <laughs> bun for the first time, and and that was great. Yeah, it did. It didn't turn out lighthearted in my version. <laughs> right, right. Overall, the tone of the story in general is just much more uh, serious and and uh, yeah. I'm wondering if anyone if you were worried about that or if anyone like pushed back against that. Yeah, actually, um, one of my close friends, Ethan Ashkey, uh, I lost him as a reader pretty early on. Uh, he was like, yeah, there's just not enough of these moments where the Animorphs, you know, like morph into puppies and run around uh-huh. the beach and then look at the sunset. Uh, and I sort of couldn't go back on it at that point. Mm-hmm. Like we were 12 chapters in or something and and the tone was sort of too established um, but that that specific comment actually led to the Tobias Dolphin chapter directly, uh-huh. and that's the sort of thing that, like, if I were to go back and redo the fic uh, from the ground up, if I were ever to go back and do a second draft, I would try pretty hard to sprinkle in like at least four or five of those. Uh, we're just all out fooling around because we're teenagers, and you know sometimes you got to let the pressure off. I like to think yeah. that that's still happening, just off camera a little bit. That's funny. That's actually, I occasionally will write in scenes where crew in my story is having fun with Pokemon because like, I'm aware that a lot of people like Pokemon in large part because of like, like having fun with your magical creature friends. And like, it's just not naturally speaking, it's just not something that that would come up as often if I was writing to my focus. Yeah. Yeah. There's a way in which like, I don't know, it's sort of like characters going to the bathroom in a movie or something, Mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, there's some amount of this should be acknowledged and should be recognized, but uh, you're always, always limited by the space concerns like i mean randomorphs ended up being over half a million words and still yep. a lot of things are just not there because they're just there's there's too many things competing for the space on the page yeah did you have thoughts on um uh, so you mentioned the things that that didn't make it in and i was curious to know also about like how much you attempted to okay so some of my favorite chapters uh in general were like just the deep explorations into alien psychology and history were there any of the races that you attempted to like majorly change beyond like like what ended up actually ended like ended up in the story or like ended up uh like coming out in the page because they just they felt like they were they would change the they would change the universe too much or they would change like the story too much uh yeah so most of them i tried to stay pretty true um most of them i basically took something that we knew about them and 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 like I tried to preserve a core essence. Like for instance, the Horkbajir, we know uh-huh. that they were engineered. We know that they're not super smart. Uh, we know that they have knives on all their limbs. I was like, okay, so somebody engineered these guys to have knives on their limbs, and they're not super smart. But like within that, what can I what can I play around with? And actually, I had more fun being like, who did this horrific thing? Uh-huh. Uh, that I sort of made up the Arn from whole cloth. The Arn and Cannon were were basically just humans. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, the biggest there there were a couple that I I couldn't quite fit. There's a there's a species called the Garatrons in canon that are basically like the Flash. They have super speed, and I I just couldn't. I mean, even even the Arn. There's a species with you know crazy bioengineering prowess, and Visser Three was like, oh yes, don't mind if I do seize total control <laughs> over these people. Right. Uh, like I will happily be the liaison in our alliance with this group and, and exploit their amazing superpower. But like for there to be a species that has the flash skills that just nobody cared about and just wasn't incredibly decisive in all conflicts, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Clearly the flash creatures couldn't be there. The other species that I changed a lot was the Lee Rans. There's a species in Canon that just has sort of, full open psychic access. And I tried to think about how I would handle full open psychic access, like total access to the verbal loop and memories of anyone within like a 30 meter radius. And that was so hard for me to figure out what to do with that. I ended up just changing them into almost like a force of nature. Like there aren't characters mm-hmm. there. I, I couldn't imagine what it was like to be a Lee Ran or what Lee Ran society would be right. like. I just, it was like so wide open that I was like, how do you even start when there's no boundary between, you know, you and your environment? How, how do you even grow a personality out of that? How do you even grow a culture out of that? I couldn't do it. So I didn't even try. And I just left the Lee Ran. I made them even more open boundary. Like I, I made them not only psychic, but like, like have a broken sense of time and everything. Uh, and they're just not even characters. Like when mm-hmm. they're, when, when people are in a sort of psychic state where they can see all the minds that are around them, nobody ever even sees a Lee Ran mind because I just couldn't figure out what to do with that. I don't know if I've actually answered the question you were asking. No, yeah, yeah, you did, yeah. Alex, I saw you light up for a second. Yeah, more of a, a process of writing question, because those are the ones I love. Um, <laughs> so th- this, you were working on the story for a very long time. Um, obviously, a lot of things change over the course of was six, seven years? Six years, yeah. Okay, but like some of that is just like normal natural stuff. Like your understanding of the story changes a little bit and you go places you didn't expect to go. Uh, I am interested in that, but I guess like if you, not if you had to do it over, but if you could send a short message to yourself with advice on like dead ends to avoid or, or, or the, the advice that you'd give yourself on, on writing the story. Right. Yeah. I think I think mostly what I would be trying to push for is something like there's this good thing that happened to me and I think I could have done it even more. Um there's a thing where I left a lot of things pretty wide open and I left a lot of things sort of underexplained or underjustified uh and I left a lot of things in, in this space where they're concrete but they're ambiguous. Like Elfangor said a thing about uh he he said a thing that made it seem like he could see inside jake's head he said another thing that made it seem like he had some sort of like fortune telling knowledge of the future he said another thing that indicate you know like like just there's sort of all these little pieces where um i think i think the advice i would give to myself is do this thing more where you drop tiny bits of information uh, tiny observations that are discrete and like all by themselves. Don't try to weave them all together. Um, 
but like flood the story with all sorts of like confusing individual items. Because what, what happened was a lot of the things that I left, like I'm, I'll probably figure out how to rationalize this later. So I'll just like mention it briefly here. A lot of those things led to really cool things being able to tie together. Um, like it, it wasn't until a third of the way through the fic that Nate and I realized that morphing tech should be based on Yerk physiology and that this actually was a really cool retcon of why the Andalite scientist Ciro was so interested in Yerks in the first place. The guy like, like, and, and that he could be the guy that invented the morphing tech. Uh, and he could have like morphing tech in Canon was new and interactions with Yerks were new and it was never really established whether there was any link there, but like, oh man, this is so cool. If Ciro is a mad scientist inventor who invented the morphing tech based in part on his explorations with the Yerks, oh, everything just feels so much more sensible. And it makes so much more sense, uh, like how the animal's brain is still under there and just all kinds of things were really cool about that. Um, and that emerged because I had done something like left a bunch of puzzle pieces on the table. Um, if you imagine like scattering 15 different jigsaw puzzles on a table uh, and not even bothering to try to track whether whether the pieces are like from the same puzzle, you're just trying to construct a mosaic, um, like a, a cool looking pretty mosaic. And so you can pick up these two pieces and maybe they're from completely different puzzles, but they nevertheless do actually fit together and their colors like mesh well or contrast nicely. Something like that, I would advise myself to do even more of scattering these little open-ended bits um, and just sort of trusting that future me would be able to fit enough of them together uh, to satisfy the reader. And that like, like I knew going into it that there was going to be an Elemist and a Krayak, that there were going to be these omniscient god figures. Um, and so I think it's okay to have some mysteries left unexplained, sort of how there are some things about Merlin in HPMOR that are just like never clarified. Um, I think authors are often afraid to leave hints that they don't know how to resolve. They try to make the whole universe be perfectly clockwork. And I think you can make a perfect clockwork universe where every single bit of foreshadowing matters and everything makes perfect sense together. But it's, it's a tremendously difficult task. Uh, and I, I found that um, readers were more forgiving of open threads left untied up, uh, and leaving more open threads gave me more ways to recombine things later on. Yeah. I'm sure there are many people listening now who would probably think that that sounds counterintuitive to what, like, they imagine writing rational fiction is supposed to be, which is, like, every clue goes to a solution and every thread gets tied up and every, uh, mystery gets explored, but the Merlin example is a good one from HBR more because, in part, in part because, like, you know, stories have to have a scope and and like the world has to be bigger than the scope of the story. Otherwise uh, there's like basically no, uh, there's no world that the story can exist in, but also like a lot of the things that the process of writing itself brings out uh, seat of the pants writing is the way it's, it's called uh, as opposed to like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like organizing and, and outlining and stuff like that. But the amounts of times that stories just will, will surprise you and then change as you write them, especially for years. I don't know. Maybe it's different if you write a story out and like, you know, six months to some degree, that's true. But even, no, even, even when I wrote a story in six months, I, it, it, there were still many things that, that just end up um, changing and recombining. Yeah. Especially when people on Reddit keep having really good yeah, fitting ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt. Yeah. I definitely stole multiple things from Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Hive, the hive mind is great at coming up with things that I wish I'd come up with myself and then stole. I loved it. I love the feeling of like, man, 
I know what the next chapter is, but I don't know what the second, third, and fourth chapters out are. Uh, I could just ask people <laughs> what they're expecting to see resolved, and they will tell me. And and this is just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, pe- people can also come up with stuff that uh, does not work. Like yeah, like I've I, I've often have it where people will say something, and I'll think it's really cool, but. I immediately am seeing the flaws in why I can't like yeah. adopt it or, or how it screws up my other plans. I, yeah, I don't know. Sure. It's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. And sometimes I, I, I worry it's a, a problem of communication, like why their I, why their cool idea didn't work and, and why I can't pay it off in the way that admittedly would have been, you know, it w- would have been great. Yeah, this is where I, I think it's it's really important when you have that sort of relationship with a batch of readers on a subreddit or something to be real clear about like what the relationship is or something. Like, yeah, I, I love the fact that my readers come up with ideas, but uh, there's definitely like a plan and there's definitely like I'm this is not a democracy or like this is not being decided by committee. Like some things I will be able to pick up and some things I won't and some things I'll be able to tell you why and some things I won't. and like. Yeah, I think it's easy for fans, um, especially with with Randomorphs, I was pretty explicit. Like, this thing happened because of this person's suggestion. And, like, shout out in this chapter goes to this person. And here's a literal copy-paste of a Reddit thread with with everybody's direct quotes and stuff. Um, I think it's it's easy for... This sort of, like, increases the fans' investment in the story, makes them feel more a part of it, makes them feel more like they own it, for better and worse, right? Like, that that leads to them to to, to feel more precious about the story, but it also means that they're going to be a little more hurt if you disregard something. And, I don't know, it, it's nice to be nice to people, and mm-hmm. I think that a big part of niceness is, like, being clear about expectations. I want to ask about, um, I would say, probably the biggest change in the story from from canon. I know there's a lot of big changes in the story from canon, but I would say the biggest change is Garrett. Like, this is just, like, singular, like one of the major added characters, and all. it's, like, the major added character, actually, and also just, like, very different from all the other characters, and also changes quite a lot in the in the dynamics of the of the group, and, uh, like, not just Tobias. Like, it, he, he, I think he has an effect on, on basically everyone to some degree. Yeah, there's uh, already a really great response on this character uh, in the subreddit uh, AMA, which I will link to in the description of the, this episode, by the way, for anyone who wants to find it. But um, yeah, like I'm just curious to know more about going into it. If you knew already that this is a character that you wanted to include, or if it like, I mean, you know, he shows up fairly early, but yeah, where that came from. Yeah. So I, I did not know. Um, I think Tobias was chapter three or four, like in the, in the rotation, we start with Jake, we go to Marco, uh, I can't remember if we go to Rachel and then Tobias, but T- Tobias was three or four. And even even uh, in the first couple of chapters, I did not have Garrett existing. Like I didn't have Garrett existing until I sat down to write Tobias and was just like, well, crap. I wrote an initial scene where he's sort of cynically disappointed in the other Randomorphs, like he's watching them and judging them. And that fits with my sense of him being like a relative outsider at the beginning. Uh, but now he's leaving. What is he going to go do? Oh, geez, I have to have some kind of thing for this character to have as his thing since being a bird and feeling real torn up about whether or not to eat roadkill uh, will no longer fill several chapters. And so, yeah, I sort of I sort of started thinking through Tobias positionally um, relative to the other Animorphs. 
So Jake and Rachel are cousins. Rachel and Cassie are best friends. Cassie and Jake have a mutual thing. Uh, Marco is Jake's best friend from childhood, so he's known to Rachel and Cassie. Tobias was always the odd one out, uh, and in canon, this is what led him to be close to Axe when Axe showed up. And I was like, okay, so I have these four people that are sort of already a pod, and I have this fifth person who's on the outside looking in. And at some point, I sort of flipped it to be like, oh, right, he's probably got some other connections. Like, this is a if this is a real person with a real history... Right. What's his deal? I'm going to have him live in an orphanage. Okay. Who are the other people at the orphanage, right? Like who else must be there? Does he have some relationship with a counselor or like a social worker that's going to be important? Does he have a mentor? Like who drives him to school? And sort of the the most ready at hand thing, like from a, from a doylist perspective uh, as an author, I was like, okay, there's lots of really complicated cans that I could open up here. But a simple thing is I could just give him one best friend. Tobias has a best friend who's not known to the group. Okay, who's this person? Is this person his age? Is this person somebody older than him? Is this person somebody younger than him? And I very rapidly made a couple of not at all well-considered decisions. I was just like reaching into my own guts and like, I don't know, let's just have it be somebody younger than him. Let's have him, you know, be sort of a responsible caretaker. Uh, Let's have the person be a little bit weird. And so Garrett was not at all fleshed out uh, in his very first scene. He shows up. Tobias is talking to him through the window. Uh, and I was like, OK, Tobias will be projecting telepathy. And Garrett is only responding by taps. Uh, and I was thinking something like, how do I how do I fit emotion? Like, how do I give the reader a sense for who this character is through literal taps? And I was I was imagining a, a person behind the window tapping and I was like, what will cause this person to tap harder or softer or like, you know, and, and, and I don't know, it just sort of slipped. Garrett just sort of happened in that way that like, OK, he's a little bit weird. He's a little bit atypical Tobias. OK, this lets me have Tobias be like more savvy. Like I wanted Tobias to be savvy and street smart. And one way that you can show a character being savvy and street smart is if they're guiding or advising somebody who's less savvy and street smart. Uh, so Garrett being younger, Garrett having a little more trouble navigating the world. And then he just sort of slowly built over time. I was like, okay, uh, Tobias is going to offer to touch him with this alien box and give him the superpower to turn into animals. Um, and I had this advice from an Orson Scott card book uh, going through my head where he was always like, so, so take the obvious response and just like kind of turn it on its head. Like, obviously, we're all like, hell yeah, we want superpowers. But like an equally realistic and slightly less cliche answer is get that fucking piece of alien technology away from me. Are you kidding? I don't know if that's going to kill me. And so I was like, okay, if I have this character have this reaction, then there's this thing emerging in his relationship with Tobias right there, where like Tobias is an elder and a guide. So what sort of character is nevertheless going to be like, no, like Tobias is going to be exerting some pressure in this scene to like, come on, do this. All the cool kids are doing it. And like, what type of human, what type of relationship is he going to have where he's going to say no? Uh, and I, I ended up navigating toward this, like Garrett has very strong opinions. Um, and, and all these, all these little decisions just sort of stacked up. So he, he sort of grew in a direction. There were the, basically, the way it worked was it was sort of like problem, constraint, solution. Problem, constraint, solution. So problem, 
Tobias needs something else to be his deal. Uh, constraint, it needs to be compatible with like everything we've already seen of Tobias in the last couple of chapters and, and like the attitude that Tobias holds in canon. Solution, he should have a little brother. And then like, you know, Tobias wants to go off and do this mission. Problem, his little brother is, you know, going to be scared. You know, the constraint is he has to do this in a way that seems good for his little brother. Solution, we're going to have the scene where Jake and Garrett and Tobias sort of hash it out. The biggest thing that was frightening for me was at some point, if I'm rotating through viewpoint chapters, viewpoint characters, I have to either make the call that this original character is fundamentally subordinate and like not actually an equal with the other Animorphs and will like forever be treated as a second class character conspicuously like somebody who hasn't read canon will be like why didn't garrett ever get a viewpoint chapter i don't understand are you racist against autistic people or i'm gonna have to like stand up to my audience and be like yes this kid deserves his own viewpoint chapter he's every bit he's every bit as real and valid as the other characters uh and that's kind of scary people are gonna be like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh so this is everything that's bad about fan fiction (laughs) yeah yeah and you, you'll notice if you look at the uh, the chapter roster, Garrett sat out a couple of rotations before getting a chapter, and then he got a very short chapter. I was I was definitely like testing the waters. I, I was doing a thing of like simultaneously easing the people uh, who were familiar with canon into it. Like I'll just give you a little bit of Garrett first, and you know hopefully you'll fall in love with him. But also like giving myself an ejector seat if if everybody if the response was just ro- roundly negative. I would have just not had any more Garrett chapters and I would have uh, made him more of more, more interfacing with Tobias ju- more, or sorry, more interfacing with the other rationalists, <laughs> more <laughs> interfacing with the other Ranomorphs just through <laughs> Tobias. Um, but fortunately people like the response was positive enough and the, the people who hated Garrett were quiet enough that uh, he was sort of allowed to become a more real member of the team. Um, and that opened up all these other interactions. I really liked having him around as a character who could just sort of bluntly call bullshit. Um, I really liked having him around as another person who would have some sort of empathy with Axe, who is an alien struggling with his own mental health issues. I really liked the way that he he sort of like like the the jester in the king's court, Garrett sort of um, calls attention to the absurdity of all sorts of very like normal neurotypical things in a way that forced the other Ranomorphs to contend with them. Uh, I think Garrett being around made Jake a better leader, for instance, mm-hmm. where in canon, Jake being able to just stick in the more neurotypical way of relating with, you know, like Marco and Rachel and Cassie and Tobias were all sort of normal. And Axe was explicitly deferential, uh, calling Jake his prince and everything. Um, having Garrett there to sort of push Jake to be like, nope, this doesn't make sense. You can't tell me what to do. Uh, forced Jake to grow as a leader faster. Yeah. And, and I think, I think all of these effects were, were, they were not at all intentional. They were serendipitous. They were lucky. I lucked into them by virtue of several small choices that then snowballed in uh, almost without my conscious choice. So talking to you, uh, and I mean this as a compliment. You are much more of a like seat of your pants writer than I would have expected from reading. Yeah. Did that ever get you into trouble anywhere? I feel like it did. 
but I'm unable to pull up. Like, I feel like there were times when, I don't know, somebody would suggest something brilliant on Reddit and I'd be like, oh man, if I'd only thought of that one chapter ago, but I like just set things in stone and now I'm screwed. There's like nothing I can do about that. It definitely, it definitely got me in trouble there where like not having thought three steps ahead caused me to sometimes miss opportunities that require me to have planned things three steps ahead. Like some, some of those opportunities were still there because I had left things sufficiently open-ended that I could, I could subtly retcon, but definitely there were times when it was just like, man, too bad, too bad. I should have, I should have, you know, built up a bigger buffer or I should have left myself more room between updates or something. The place where it didn't tend to screw me over, and this is where I'll, I'll I'll do a little bit of a shameless plug for my my one big piece of writing advice. I think that a lot I think that one big reason why a lot of people prefer to not write by the seat of their pants is because they really need help uh, and they really need time and they really need extra cycles, sort of smoothing the writing, not just on the level of typos and things, but just like okay. I don't know where the story is until I get to the end of the chapter and then I can go back and start over at the beginning of the chapter. Now that I know the end of the chapter, I can sort of like make everything point in the correct direction. I think this is just straightforwardly good. Like I think that if I were to rewrite Randomorphs now, knowing how it ends, it would just be better. And the same thing is true on the chapter level. If you can properly do a full a first draft and then get some feedback and let it digest and then go back and properly do a second draft. This just unambiguously makes your writing stronger. One thing that most people don't do, in my experience, that I do do, is I do this on the sentence by sentence level and the paragraph by paragraph level. Many times I would publish my draft basically the instant I finished it. And it was like my first draft just finished. I put it up online that night because I was right up to the deadline. Um, but there's a thing that I do in my writing where I will write until the words stop flowing, uh, like until I sort of get stuck and things peter out. And then I'll just go back five paragraphs or 10 paragraphs and I'll hit return three times and make a little space. I'll, I'll sort of like cut a chunk of the text off. And then I'll I'll go back up to the main text and I'll start literally rewriting those five or 10 paragraphs. Like I'll, at first, I'll just straight up be retyping exactly what I already wrote. But as I'm writing, I will sort of have my dissatisfaction cranked way up and I'll like notice if a word feels slightly off or a sentence feels slightly like not what that character would say. And I'll start making little tweaks as I go along and the tweaks start to snowball and the momentum starts to build up. And by the time I reach the spot where I had previously petered out and sort of lost momentum, I will almost usually at least two or three times. And this process of uh, like constantly, the thing that I am practicing is receiving the words that were already written and like evaluating them as a reader and seeing how they feel when I roll them around and being like, not quite, not so good. And this does a couple things. One, it makes the, the writing itself much smoother. Like my first drafts are secretly kind of cheating and their second or third drafts. Um, but two, I'm sort of always flexing this muscle of making things feel smooth and making things flow and making things uh, like have good transition and feel like they're pointing somewhere. And that somehow, I'm not sure exactly how, but that somehow translates to even being a seat of the pants writer. It, it 
successfully makes the overall thing somewhat less seat of the pantsy because it's it's just like less scattered and less fragmented and more unified by virtue of the fact that I'm always, always, always practicing this unification. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in when you were when you were writing, you were always did you just never have a backlog? No, sometimes I would have a backlog and then I would just promptly I would just promptly ruin ruin it for myself. Like like my motivation was sort of inversely proportional to my backlog. As soon as I had an extra chapter in the tank, I was just like, yeah, I don't have to do any work. I've got a backlog. And and I could see myself doing this and I knew that it was wrong. And I, I like didn't even pretend that it was right. Like a part of me was like, Duncan, what are you doing? And the other part of me was like, yeah, I'm messing up. That's what I'm doing. And they're just, I just never solved this. I never debugged this successfully. I never got past it. Yeah. The only way that I could preserve any kind of meaningful backlog would be if I like promised to external parties, like, hey, I promise this is going to be a hiatus and it's going to last until I have five chapters. Uh, and then I would just by sheer virtue of social disapproval, get the backlog of usually three chapters. And then I would like look sort of shamefaced, but at least I would get three chapters. Yeah, I've basically no backlog ever. I, I published in batches for uh, Worth the Candle. And for the current one, I've kept a 10 chapter backlog. And so I write them and I go back. I go back for like a final edit thing like the day before they're published which gives me yeah. enough space i don't think i could do that if i had like a two chapter backlog yeah but I, okay, th- how how do you maintain the backlog like what are you doing in your soul that lets you, lets <laughs> you do it <laughs> yeah i don't know it's it i didn't i didn't think that it would work i thought i was going to chew through the backlog because it, it was a backlog of like 15 chapters when i started i had like mm-hmm. the first 15 chapters written and over three months it's now down to 10 chapters so i am but I'm posting like three chapters a week. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I think I'm at like sustenance level basically. So long as I don't like take days off. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think if once I start to slip, I'll start to slip more and I'll just be like, hey, I'll just do it live. <laughs> but as it is now, the chapters that I edit are so far behind that I feel like I can add meaningfully to them. And yeah. it feels like it, it's a, it's a difference in process from if it was like, the chapter before because nothing would have meaning, meaningfully changed in my mind it would still be fresh by the time i'm i'm doing that final edit on it it's been well i guess like three weeks since i originally wrote it and so it's like it, it's like in the past enough that i'm coming to it fresh yeah, and it's yeah, not it's not sense. as much of a chore as it sometimes is and then so i my writing is split between you know these editing passes and then like fresh writing and they're they're on different enough tracks that they're that they're mentally separate and it's not as big a deal, but I, yeah, I, I think backlogs are just like are difficult to deal with in, in a lot of ways. And I'm glad that it, uh, what I have currently is working, but I, I, I think that if they were closer together, if it was like two, two chapter backlog, it would be gone in, in like a week. Yeah. I would just be like, no, I can, I can take off writing. I can, or I, uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about, I very often will start on other projects while I have something that's like promised to people going like something that i'm that i'm obligated to put out chapters on do you did you focus exclusively on this or did you have like side projects or was it mostly just this for for six years 
Yeah, uh, I didn't have I didn't have a lot of personal side projects, um, but I had a very busy work schedule. Uh, you know, working at the Center for Applied Rationality and um, working on the CIFAR handbook and and trying to do like develop rationality techniques and rationality essays. And I, so I had tons of other things that I was writing. But yeah, Randomorphs, it it definitely took up all of my like fiction writing slack. Like a couple of times I tried to pick up my half-finished novel that I had put on pause to write Ranamorphs and was just fully unable to 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 do it. I wasn't able to get into it. I think there was a sort of looming sense of responsibility. It felt like any other creative writing project was strictly trading off against the like readers who were clamoring for me to get off hiatus and start publishing again. And so the only things I was able to successfully do in the meantime were like one-off short fiction things. I think I wrote four or five short stories uh, over the course of that six years, but nothing else beyond that. Okay. I actually have the same question for, for Daystar because <laughs> I realized that I, and I don't think we've ever talked about that. Uh, I, I always view it as like cheating on a story as like, as like I'm being unfaithful to, to my readers or to like the work itself. Uh, when I go off to like f- pursue some newer, more exciting idea that, you know, inst- instead of the thing that I've been working on for so long, but Daystar, do you, do you <laughs> do much writing? I, I know you don't have that much slack for it, but so, does, that, does that tempt you? So um, I might get in some trouble with my readers for saying this. I, I've kind of alluded now and he- now and then to the fact that I've been writing, uh, co-writing like a fantasy uh, series. This has been going on f- more or less for for like ten years or so, with some hiatuses. There there are definitely months where I have written more more of the fantasy series than I have Pokemon, just because like co-writing. I don't know. Co-writing seems to exercise a different muscle in my brain, and like it's very you know I could write like five thousand words in 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 like a week or two of the fantasy series, and like I'll I'll have like you know maybe maybe outlined a thousand words and uh or something for for pokemon and yeah so that that's been going on this whole time um more or less not let me say eight years ago i think i was on hiatus uh with the fantasy series for the first half of that or so maybe i can't quite remember uh, how many years it's been now but yeah so that, that's that's been kind of just ongoing in the background also obviously there was guardian which started for like a couple months uh, i was like oh i'm really gonna get into this thing also i, I think i can do this too for people wondering what happened to Guardian, what happened is I tried the backlog method. Uh, I was like, I'm just going to write like three more chapters of Guardian before I put any more out. And as I was doing that, I was like, I got into some questions about where I want the story to go that I was having trouble resolving. And that was taking up a lot of my time away from Pokemon. And I was like, okay, I, I actually, I can't actually do the Guardian thing and Pokemon at the same time. This is, this is not going to work. So I, I put Guardian on uh, indefinite hiatus until, until Pokemon is done. So it tur- yeah, it turns out that I can work on other stories but something about the story has to be different enough or the writing process has to be different enough where it doesn't feel like it's using the same muscle or like using the same like creative thought energy or something. I don't know how else to put it, but yeah, the fantasy series is, is not explicitly rational fiction. Uh, I have not made an effort to make it rational fiction. I've also not avoided making it rational fiction to some degree because like I don't think I can write explicitly non-rational fiction anymore. I don't know, <laughs> but maybe that's maybe that's the missing ingredient where it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't cost the same like something it does, something about it is not as costly as writing Pokemon is to me. So I, I feel like I can do it in that respect. Okay, yeah. So uh, Duncan, after now now that you're done, are you are you already on to finishing up that novel, or are you going to something else, or are you just taking a break from writing? Because I'm I'm curious about that because when I finished. 
when I finished Worth the Candle, I it just felt like there was this huge weight off my shoulders, like this obligation was finally finished. I, I don't I don't know. My, my instinct was to just immediately like to, to roll right into the next thing. So I'm wondering if that's your plan or um, or if you're taking a break or if you're just going to like work on nonfiction stuff or or what. Yeah, so I am very excited to get back to Pass. Um, I intended to take a break from it for just one year. I thought Randomorphs would take one year and I would build some skill and build some readership and then get back to my real novel, is how I refer to it, the story that's currently clawing its way out of my soul. <laughs> so if I were you know, independently wealthy and could just do whatever I wanted to do all day, I think I would indeed have already begun working on pass again. And 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 I've I've taken a couple of days to uh to like go back and tinker with some of the stuff that I've already written. But at the moment, I think what I'm most likely to do is spend the next quarter or so um working on clearing out my backlog of nonfiction essays. I have a list of literally more than 50 essays for less wrong that I intend to write and intend to publish. Um, and I think that writing the nonfiction stuff will flex a different muscle. It'll be like switching from legs to arms. And so spending a little bit of time working mostly in short form nonfiction. And then I expect somewhere in the spring of 2022, I will really, in a dedicated fashion, turn back to my novel and hopefully finish my novel in two years. I'd like to spend three or four months um reworking my way all the way back through the half that already exists because i think i am actually a substantially better writer than i was before randomorphs um but i think i can zip through the first hundred and fifty thousand words pretty quickly um and then get on to the second half uh and hopefully actually finish it before the singularity <laughs> yeah so i'm curious to know with this also because this was a prediction that i made that turned out not to be not to not to pan out uh, how tempted were you to have them turn into dinosaurs? I mean, you kind of got there, right? Like, uh, in in if you squint a little bit, but like, yeah, I don't know. How tempted were you to do the dinosaurs thing? Yeah, extremely tempted. For those who aren't familiar with canon, um, there was a time travel episode or three, um, and in at least one of them, they got T Rex morphs uh, and and various other dinosaur morphs, and then when they came back to the present, for some reason, they just didn't have those morphs, which was unfair. <laughs> Uh, I was quite tempted to figure out some way for them to get dinosaur morphs. And I did, as you mentioned, have Cassie slowly mutate her way to basically a Deinonychus or a Velociraptor. But in the end, I just couldn't, I, I didn't feel clean. None of the, none of the like schemes that I came up with, I don't know, like we could have a government institute that has been slowly researching, you know, bringing dinosaurs back to life and, Paul Evans puts them in touch with that group and it turns mm -hmm. out they have a dead embryonic T-Rex, but like maybe the morphing tech can work with it. None of it felt clean. It all felt dirty. Uh, and so ultimately I scratched that itch by having them do their off-planet jaunt to the uh, the Hork-Bajir homeworld yeah. and getting a few monster morphs that way. Which was a very cool uh, genre shift, by the way. Like that was a nice nice bit of like a horror uh, interlude in the in all the sci-fi that we've been, we've been reading. Yeah, that was a, that was another fun uh, example of serendipity. I didn't plan for there to be Mar clones. It just sort of emerged out of like, okay, eventually Marco is going to be like, screw this, let's make copies of me then. And then when I realized that they were going to be sort of rules lawyered into going on to the planet of the Arn, I was like, oh man, I can do this really cool chapter. <laughs> 
where I can switch between 10 viewpoints, but it's all just a Marco chapter, then it was just too clever to resist. And that is an instance of the sort of thing that happens if you if you scatter puzzle pieces on the table, like I was saying. That was unplanned serendipity. I'm super glad. I don't think any fic other than Ranomorphs could have done it also. So I like I like felt real happy to take that opportunity. Yeah, I'm glad that you like the change of pace. I was a little nervous, both that the people who wanted that sort of thing all along we're going to starve having never gotten any of it. And I was like hoping to feed them a little. And I was also nervous that other people were gonna be like, what is happening here? But it seemed like nobody, uh, nobody rejected that chapter, which was nice. Yeah. It's also nice when, uh, when you, the author see something coming to be able to build up to a, just like, are you kidding me moment for the characters? Like right. I knew several chapters ahead of time. Like, okay, Marco is making clones. Guess who doesn't know about this? Jake. Guess who's going to get blindsided by this? Jake. <laughs> it was really fun. Um, I, I feel like the relationships between characters really shine in moments when you have characters surprise one another. And and it was nice to be able to, to sort of put my Jake model and my Marco model in a room and just like let them fight. That was a chapter where I really had no idea how the Jake Marco conversation was going to play out. But I also knew that if I just push play on the conversation, like something interesting was going to happen and and I didn't really have to worry. It wasn't it wasn't going to like end up breaking my plans or my plot. I could just sort of let it happen uh, and let the characters breathe. And that was really nice. Which I guess, yeah, like writing advice, build rich characters, people, the richer yeah. you make your characters, the easier it is. Sometimes you don't know what's going to happen and you can just ask your characters. Yeah, the best play on the characters uh, in the situation doing the thing is is definitely something that I've experienced too. Where it's like, hmm, I wonder what they're going to say about this. Let's find out, and then it's just a whole it's a whole extra thing that just goes in the story. Yeah, and if you're lucky, they don't yank the plot in a sideways right. direction, but but sometimes they do, and even that's good. So, mm -hmm. do you have a sense of whether or not the thing you did to Animorphs is something you can do to another thing. Uh, I've said a few times before that when I was starting out, Pokemon was was uh, was like near the top of my list. Uh, another one that was there was Animorphs, and I'm really glad I didn't do that one because it wouldn't have turned out nearly as good as yours. And the third one was something with uh, the Dark Tower series by, by Stephen King or like yeah. maybe uh, like the Dealing with Dragons series. Yeah. Is there anything else that you that you think like, I could do this with another with another series and it would, it would turn out probably pretty good. Yeah, I think I think there's a distinction here between uh, places where I could do it effortlessly and places where uh, yeah. I could do something like like do my research and do my homework and, and sort of effortfully do it. I think I could something like effortlessly do this in the old school Star Wars universe, like like pre Disney reboot um, mm -hmm. with like Jason and Jaina and Anakin Solo and so forth. And I think I could pretty much effortlessly do this in Wheel of Time or Avatar The Last Airbender. I think other franchises are either harder to do this to. Like I, I, I think it would I think I would have a hard time rationalizing the Enders game universe because it is much less already not rational. Yeah. And I think that there are other other franchises uh that are just I'm just like not quite plugged in enough. I like wouldn't be able to find the rhythm. I think I think there's this thing about capturing the soul, right? Where I don't know. I think maybe HP Moore even actually didn't really quite capture the soul of Harry Potter. It just like luckily had a different soul. 
Um, but like, I, I think I was able to capture the soul of Animorphs because I really knew it. I grokked it. I had it. I think I could, I think I could do something that, uh, would make the creators of Avatar, the last airbender happy. I don't think that I could necessarily, I don't know, make the creators of Steven universe happy or something like that. Like there, there are places where my, I just, I just, it mm-hmm. like doesn't click with my own soul quite enough for me to feel confident. Uh, there are places where it feels ruder. I never, I never felt rude changing anamorphs around um i always felt some probably unjustified probably the the probably ka applegate would be a little bit horrified by some of my choices but i always felt like i could just sit down with ka applegate and she would just love it and i think i feel that less in some other universes but i definitely feel it for star wars for avatar the last airbender uh at least a little bit for wheel of time yeah gotcha what is the common denominator between those four beyond just that feeling is it because I was thinking about this the other day that there are some there are some universes and some stories for which I I feel a kinship to them, but I also like there's stuff beyond what is in the text that I just desperately want to explore. I was talking about um, Bioshock Infinite with someone, and I, I don't think that the, there are certain aspects of that story that I like, but there's stuff implied by the story that's not actually in the text that just, like, sets my brain on fire. And there's a in lot a, of... In a good way, presumably. Like, it sets your imagination on fire. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, well, it's it's kind of stuff that I feel like there's... I, I Like, I enjoyed the text or the work or whatever it is, but I feel like there's stuff that, that was missed or that I wished had been there, I mm-hmm. guess. I, I, I guess I'm just I'm just wondering what the like if you had to describe the general property of the stuff that you think that you could do the same thing yeah. that you did to Animorphs. Yeah, so I think I think there are two properties, uh, and one of them is like more straightforward and mundane, and I'll get it out of the way, and then I'll ramble on the second. Um, the the one that's more straightforward and mundane is if you look at Wheel of Time, Star Wars, Avatar: The Last Airbender, and Animorphs canon. Um, they do have very very rich very full worlds in the sense that the thing I was saying about like scattering puzzle pieces on the table, uh, there's just so many different pieces. There's a lot of Lego bricks there that you can connect in interesting ways. A universe like the Ender's Game universe is much more sparse and spare, and there are fewer pieces to work with in the first place. So I think I think that richer, more full worlds, um, or even if they're not necessarily fleshed out, but worlds that imply a whole rich, full world behind them, like Harry Potter does, are, are ripe for this kind of re- reimagination and reinvention. But the second thing that I think is, is at least for me, and, and I presume there's some version of this that's true for you guys as well, there's a thing in the Magic the Gathering lore. In Magic the Gathering, there are these different planes of existence. They're basically parallel universes, different fantasy worlds, and the characters travel between them. If you listen to the designers of Magic talk, they'll talk about how... Um, the different planes each themselves have a sort of character. Magic is broken up into five colors of magic and, you know, black magic is sort of selfish and dark and white magic is sort of rules-based and lawful and uh, at least pretends to morality and so forth. And they'll, they'll say something like, yeah, the plane of Theros, this, this world of Theros that's like sort of based on Greek mythology is white. Like the whole plane just sort of leans toward white magic even the black magic and the red magic on Theros sort of has a white flavor to it. 
And on Innistrad, the whole plane of Innistrad leans black. Even the white magic and the green magic on Innistrad sort of has this like cruelty to it or this like fear bent to it. The whole plane sort of drags in that direction. And when I look at Star Wars and Avatar The Last Airbender and Wheel of Time and Animorphs, they're all universes that have this sort of fundamental outlook or perspective or spirit. They're all universes where something like good matters and something like not all the time, not reliably, but like the story that we want to believe and that is at least not ruled out by our observations is that good will persevere and like good people trying to be good will be rewarded and good plans will succeed more often than evil plans. Contrast this with something like Game of Thrones, which emphatically does not have this bent, right? Like Game of Thrones is specifically about skewering the idea that just because a good deed is good, it will work. And so I would be willing to bet that most authors will be attracted toward some narrow subset of universes that already sort of fundamentally align with something that they wish or hope or long for or want to be true about the world. Uh, in Animorphs, there is an evil god, but there's also a good god. And that good god is like trying his best to like combat the evil god and is like, hey, can I recruit you onto the team of the good? And I think this is very clearly true in all of Star Wars, Wheel of Time and Avatar The Last Airbender as well. Uh, and so I think it makes sense that that my eye was drawn there for that reason. Like, that's sort of the way that I want to live my own life in our messy universe. <laughs> yeah. Like, I imagine that somebody who wanted to do rational Game of Thrones would also find, uh, I don't know, Name of the Wind, right? Uh, as opposed to rational Narnia or something. Yeah. Like, now I'm thinking about like that. What color is that? Is that story? Always more layers to think about in <laughs> the MTG. Indeed, color. there are. Feel free to invite me back to talk about that anytime. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in our in our show list. Colors of stories. <laughs> yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know already about uh, Duncan's, did we call you? We called you TK17 last time you were here. I'll put I'll put both on the thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's an article that Duncan has written on the MTG Color Wheel, and I'll link that also in the description because it's fucking great. Cool people think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. CGP Grey um, plugged it on his stream at one point. Yeah. If you don't know who CGP Grey is, then, I mean, I'm just, I'll link that too, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, maybe last question then is, if you had the Animorphs powers, like if you were in the Animorphs world itself, right? Like, mm -hmm. would you, would you be, do you think you would behave roughly like the way your characters did? Uh, or do you think there's something even they didn't think of or something that's just like without you-ness being there, like they wouldn't have, wouldn't have considered a thought was a good idea or something like that. I think for the most part, I would have behaved something like the way that all five or six of them or seven, depending on how you count. Uh, I think I would have behaved something like how all of them together behaved. Like, I think there's mm -hmm. a way in which each of them uh, is very much like a, uh, like a way that I can be. Um, I can very much be like Rachel and I can very much be like Jake and I can even sometimes be like Visser three, which is, you know, I'm not super proud of it, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the only real difference is, you know, sort of, sort of bouncing ideas off of Nate Sories a lot. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Nate Sories is the executive director of a group called the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. They do a lot of theorizing about how to build uh, provably safe artificial intelligence. 
like tooling around with Nate a lot, Nate would constantly be like, oh, you should immediately, you know, you could you could take this thing and just immediately get nanotech. And like, obviously, I would like stop what I was doing right there and I would just go get nanotech and then I would save the universe. And so there's right. a bunch of that that I was like, listen, buddy, I get that, you know, I mean, I think more highly of 14-year-olds than approximately anybody I know. Like, I'm writing these characters. They're 14. People keep accusing me of secretly pretending that a bunch of 18-year-olds are 14. I think they're just 14-year-olds. Mm-hmm. But even I can't I can't have them jump straight to nanotech, man. They're just, they're like, <laughs> they're not going to get there that fast. I'm sorry. I know that you want the story to do that, but... None of these kids have an excuse to think that clearly and that quickly and leap that far ahead. But having heard Nate, you know, constantly nagging at me to make them be even more munchkiny and even more min-maxy and look even harder for clever hacks and cool cheats, I think that my moral behavior would be just like the Animorphs. And my technical behavior, hopefully, might be a smidge more mature. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I basically can't and I basically can't fault the Animorphs for any of the things that they did or any of the choices they made, except the ones that in text are highlighted as being misguided in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, every time that the Animorphs are really confident that they're doing the right thing, I was really confident they were doing the right thing. Gotcha. Okay. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for writing uh, Animorphs. I love the hell out of it. I believe it's my favorite science fiction story. It's like there's some there's some parts of me that may that may like like argue against that uh, sometime down the line if I think of another one like that does something different for different reasons. But like I'm pretty confident in saying that right now. It's it's probably my favorite science fiction story. That means a lot. Yeah, I uh, appreciate you coming on to chat about it. Yeah, yeah it's great it's... having you on, and we'll uh, probably try to get you for another episode. If we do the colors one. Absolutely, we'll, we'll yeah. for sure. Have you? <laughs> we can't do that one without him. Yeah, that excellent. And uh, you know, if I ever do get my novel actually out there, it doesn't look like rational fic. So we could also have a chat about like subtle rational fic if you guys ever want to. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Right, well, well, thanks, thanks again for, for having me on. Yeah, and uh, I will uh, put the links to the stuff in the in the thing uh, so that you guys can follow them along. Awesome. Until next time. Yep. Thanks. Bye.